my biggest strength is how relatable and likable I can be. But I've used it in so many horrible, disgusting ways. I've used my gift to control people. I use my gift to get away with whatever the fuck I wanted. I use my gift to manipulate situations to make me look like the good guy. You're a scumbag. You're a liar. You're an alcoholic, addict, and a psychopath. I actually convinced myself that I was one of the good guys. I know it's in me somewhere, but it's buried. Nobody wanted anything to do with me because I was a piece of shit. I had a phenomenal upbringing. I was taught to live my life with morals, integrity, the whole nine yards. And unfortunately, you cannot teach the switch to flip off. When that switch turns on, it doesn't matter what you tell me, it doesn't matter what I learned when I was five years old, I will get high every single time because it is me, me, me. This is just a public service announcement to maybe some parents that are listening to this podcast. If you feel any guilt whatsoever, cut the shit right now. You are not the culprit. There's nothing in the world that you could have taught them better, told them better, showed them better, that was going to stop your child from getting high. I don't want to say I didn't, I wasn't thinking what I was doing was wrong. I thought I was just doing what I had to do to survive at the time. Please don't be mad at me. The days of hiding from my problems stop now. The days of giving up on myself stop now. The days of me destroying relationships just so I could feel something stop now. Even if we're monsters in our act of addiction and we can't fathom the shit we've done, we are all worth it. We are all worth it to see those sober days. Welcome to a new episode of An Addictive Perspective. If you like what you hear, please go in and subscribe so you know when the new episodes are coming out. Enjoy the episode. Dude, opioid-induced constipation is the worst. I, dude, I believe you. I got hemorrhoids already. Like, I yeah. have stomach ulcers. I got hemorrhoids. I'm constipated. I'm on antidepressants. I'm on sleeping pills. I'm a fucking recovering alcoholic. But you know what? The sun came up today, and so did I. So let's fucking go. Dude, wait, wait until you're taking your finger and breaking up cement blocks of poop in your butthole just to get them to come out. You'll get there. What do, you mean get, what do you mean? That's part of it? Yeah. Dude, that's part of it. I'm hitting the relapse button, and we're fucking sending this shit back. We're running it back, <laughs> Matty Ice style. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you two? Dude, I don't... Dude, that's, just, that's, that's the truth about opioid-induced constipation. You will have to put some fingers up there to loosen things up. Well, dude, I didn't, I didn't have an opioid problem. I had a getting, getting a little too loose problem. So should we start recording? <laughs> should we start? <laughs> oh, we're not recording yet? No. No, I just don't think that needs to be in it. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really good content. But yeah, fuck it. Let's, let's start recording. So I don't think we're going to be talking about opioid-induced um, constipation or sticking fingers up our buttholes to uh, loosen it up, but I'm still going to leave it in there for sure. <laughs> yeah, dude, why not? Like, hey, people, guess what? This isn't a fucking walk in the park. <laughs> you gotta want it. <laughs> Alright, so what episode is this for us? I don't even remember. Five, I reckon. I'm supposed to be the one keeping us together. Episode five of 
our great podcast and addictive perspective. And for this episode, I think we wanted to uh, bring in some guests, but we're still trying to kind of figure that out a little bit. I'm, I'm thinking that our first guest might end up being Anthony at this point. So um, he did reach out to us. So a little spoiler alert episode coming up. We're going to have to record during a weekday for that boys because weekends kind of sound shot for him. So we'll set it up and we'll do what we need to do. Um, on this episode, I think we're going to dive into a little bit of the pandemic and the effects that COVID-19 had on addiction, alcoholism, and uh, opiate use. And so we'll dive into that a little bit in this episode, but I'll throw out some statistics, throw out a little bit of information, let you guys kind of dive into it, your thoughts on it. It may be a shorter episode this week, but that's okay. All depends on how, how things go with our discussion. So without further ado, this is episode five of An Addictive Perspective. Um, first off, let's start off with what we're grateful for. Uh, we'll start off with Matt today. No, Josh, you got to start us off. You have not started, off, started us off yet. I am grateful for the beautiful weather that we had today. I got to take my daughter out to a local playground. We ran around and ran up and down the play set and... Uh, she had a great time. It was awesome. And she was worn out and collapsed, and she went to bed at 7 o'clock, so I'm grateful for that as well. That's a parenting win. That's what we call that. So that's what I'm grateful for. All right, Matt, you take it off. Congrats on the dad dub, Josh. Um, I am grateful for two of my really good friends, Shay and Logan, got to welcome their son, Bodie, into the world. So young Bodie, young legend, welcome. Can't wait to meet you, kid. Very happy for them. I'm also thankful for Miralax because I'm clogged up. Big trust. Big trust, baby. Yeah, I'll I'll keep this train going on uh, the gratitude for kids. Um, Finn, my son, was going to be uh, the thing I was grateful for today. He's an absolute unit. He's a stud. Um, you know, I just really like he's in that stage where, like, he really recognizes your face and he smiles and he kind of interacts with you. So that's just, I mean, I don't know if there's any better feeling than, you know, your kid knowing it's you and smiling at you. So that's what I'm grateful for. Dude, that kid is going to kill some kids going across the middle in about 15 years. Oh, dude, it's going to be Bad. Bad. Dude, a lot of 15 yard penalties and targeting. He might he might get ejected out of more games than he actually plays in. Yeah, dude. He's gonna be a straight like who is that? He's gonna be straight Brian Bosworth without the juice. You feel me? Just straight cool haircut, fun personality, laying kids out. Don't come across the middle. Before he got ran over by Bo Jackson, Brian Bosworth. Yeah, pre-Bo Jackson, Brian Bosworth. That's what Finn's going to be like. I don't know if we have any sports fans out there, but I think I would uh, say he would be more likely to be the dude from the program who runs out when he makes the team and busts his head through some wind Latimer. Sh- <laughs> Latimer. <laughs> I-, I love that as well. I'm table. all in on that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyways, I don't think we're here for the – I don't think the sports fans are here to listen, so I don't think they understand any of that. But at this point, we'll move on to the topic at hand which is the uh, pandemic, a.k.a. COVID-19, and the effects on alcoholism and addiction in our country. 
So I wanted to go on and do some research. I sent over some stuff to the, the guys before this, but uh, I did find an article on uh, Forbes.com that <clears throat> had some statistics and essentially citing sources is important <laughs> citing sources i love that you're a research guy i i can be a lot of things for us so yeah you are <laughs> the overdose detection mapping application program otherwise known as odmap uh sa- showed that there was a 17.59 increase in uh, suspected overdoses following the incitement of the stay-at-home orders there was also a study by the National Emergency Medical Services Information System, otherwise known as NEMSIS, a registry of 10,000 EMS agencies in 47 stage, states, and it showed um, the highest rates were in May of 2020 for overdose deaths, and um, it was actually more than double the baseline from 2018 and 2019. So, so far, the overall 2020 um, values were elevated by approximately 50%, um, according to the NEMSIS. So, there is definitely a spike in overdoses um, due to heroin use. And there was actually, it it did state in the article as well, that this is similar to another study that reported increases in methamphetamine, cocaine, and fentanyl in urine sample screens um, since March. Uh, on online alcohol sales increased and they were in larger uh, pack sizes. So, you know, like the 40 packs, the 36 packs that came out and the national cannabis sales um, were also up showing a spike in March um, and all stabilized in April, um, but still had a higher than uh, pre COVID rates. So essentially in this Forbes article, um, the, uh, the author of the article, Iana Jordan she was she's an MD um, assistant professor um, at Yale in this addiction psychiatrist. She's an addiction psychiatrist, essentially. And Yo, we got <laughs> Yale on the podcast. What's up? She was quoted as saying increased isolation, financial duress um, of loved ones and despair people are facing are the causes of this and the instant gratification to allow one to escape from the pain is um of this reality. So essentially what she's saying is that they're using these substances to escape for, for escapism. So I guess what my question would be for you guys after just kind of quoting that pot that, um, yeah, that podcast, that, um, article a little bit there, is this any surprise to you guys at all? Or is this pretty much, did you think that there would be an increase? I'm going to start with Taylor, um, being that he works in the field of addiction currently, um, did you notice an increase in your work, like your daily work for this sort this sort of thing? Yeah, I absolutely did. And um, I definitely didn't need any uh, articles or studies, which it was a very intriguing to get, you know, some more spot on statistics. But um, just working through the pandemic and actually um, still working um, in the hospital during the pandemic, I, I didn't need this, you know, the articles to tell me what was going on. It, it was evident. Um, I would say by May, it was about the summer. And I, and I think this, uh, the studies started seeing the spikes in March when it did start. But it really became apparent to me 
over the summer, right around like June and May, there was just a <clears throat> the surge and plethora of overdoses. Um, but the more alarming thing I saw as we got later on down the road, maybe six, nine months into the pandemics and the shutdowns and stuff was the relapses happening from individuals who had long-term sobriety. And that was really the part of the equation that stood out for me because obviously I, I expect when, you know, situations like this arise for overdoses, fatal overdoses, more or less to rise. But it was seeing the people that had five, 10, 15. I, I actually met with an individual who had 23 years of sobriety um, who ended up going out because he lost his job. Uh, obviously, the financial insecurity um, and just everything was having troubles with his unemployment. Just, I mean, the life on life's terms just piling up. So that was the, that was the thing that really started, I guess, having me look at this thing like, oh, shit's getting really bad. Because when you're seeing people that at one time who had really good um, sobriety, and especially with that much sobriety under their belt that, you know, a pandemic and, you know, circumstances and this just overall, you know, uncertainty of what's going to happen later on down the road. That was something that, you know, I witnessed firsthand. And I think we're still noticing, I, I think it might have plateaued a little bit, but I still believe, um, I could be wrong, but I do still believe our overdose rates, at least in our area, um, are still on track to beat previous year's records. So by no means are we out of the water yet on probably we might not have a dramatic spike now like we saw in March, April, May, but I I don't think this is really coming down either. Matt, did you I mean, do you pay attention to this sort of stuff just as a I mean, dude, I lived this. <laughs> oh my gosh. As far as I mean the statistics and stuff, not really, but I can, guys, I'm not a professional like Taylor, so I think we should all remind our audience that I'm nine weeks sober. So during the pandemic, when I got you know locked in and everything, was I an alcoholic before then? Yeah, definitely. But for somebody like me, when I was locked in, um, you know, and I was home alone every day, and there wasn't much to do, it was like I didn't have healthy escapes. My escapes were going to see people, you know, going to work, you know, being like being in the mix, going out, having a good time. That's how I let off steam. But when the pandemic hit, you know, I was left alone with my own thoughts. And uh, there is obviously a lot of things that a lot of resentments, a lot of things that I build up over time that I never dealt with. And me just being alone in my house, trying to work from home, isolated from you know, a lot of people, my family, I couldn't come home. You know, I was all the way in San Diego. Uh, I couldn't see the, for a lot of the time, the majority of my friends. Um, I was just, it sucked. Like it, was like, it was just like one of those things where I would just, I'd like felt myself losing it a little more every day. 
And I'm sure that a lot of people can be like, yeah, dude, we're all losing it. And good for you guys if you held it together. I did not, um, you know, I'm proud of you. But I was, I just kept getting worse and worse. And like, it got to the point where I was having, I had probably in the ballpark of 15 to 20 panic attacks. Like if I had to go to the grocery store, I got nervous. And it wasn't because I'm like a germaphobe or anything. It was just, I got in this like trance where it was like, I couldn't, it was almost like I was paralyzed, couldn't leave my house type shit. And then I remember specifically, uh, we talked about my old boss, Paul, shouts out Paul, real good dude. But uh, he had like a mini party at his house. Like there's like seven of us. And it was basically because most of us had never met before. So before going, I got so nervous to go just meet people. Me, like me. Got, I got so nervous that I had like a straight on panic attack. Like it's probably, you know, the substances I was using at the time didn't help either. Let's, let's be honest. But like, um, fucking, I remember I was, my hands were shaking like uncontrollably. I could not catch my breath. Like I was just like ripping my weed bong, trying to calm the fuck down. And, uh, it's honestly the only thing I can compare it to as far as that goes is when you come back from deployment you just feel weird because you're at like a, you've been locked in for so long on like a floating prison and you're like kind of institutionalized and then you come out and the world's like moving. But uh, yeah, as far as I'm not surprised by any of it because I mean like the people, I mean, I, I had the fortunate, like I was financially stable at least enough that, and I still had issues. I mean, people that, a lot of people lost their jobs, you know, people went through some very serious stuff. And just to try to escape from that for the whole instant gratification thing, I don't think anybody should be surprised that that became an issue. Like, no fucking shit. Everybody's been locked in for a year. Like, I mean, boy, I'm, not, I'm not saying people, it's okay. But I don't see, I, don't, I think most of, I think a lot of people saw this coming in a way. I know I'm not shocked by any of it. Sure. I think it's, um, to go back to Taylor's point, is to bring up the, you know, the amount of relapses that you notice Taylor is very important to also bring up. You know, we're not only talking about overdoses. We're not only talking about, you know, we're talking about it all addiction encompassing. So um, just because people aren't necessarily dying um, or haven't figured out that they're addicts yet or that they are, you know, in active recovery and relapsing, those are all major concerns because like you said, was I an alcoholic before that? Yes, very much so. Did it? Make, it definitely exacerbated more issues for you on your end, Matt. You know, sneaky. I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> I was, pa- I would be pacing in my apartment, ta- like having like got, for, for everybody that's listening. I'm only nine weeks sober, so like I'm still like realizing how far gone I was. I've not completely wrapped my head around it yet, which is. And guess what? It gets crazier and crazier pretty much every day. I start remembering stuff and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, that's what I thought was a good idea. You know, and it's like I I don't know if Taylor, you could probably shed some light on when that ends. But I, it's just like you, I was I would legitimately pace around my place and I would have like open dialogue with myself. Yeah. Like and I it was nuts. I was crazy. I think the thing that people need to understand, too, is that when we're talking about this this topic and COVID-19 and the pandemic and kind of not having a sense of self-purpose and the, the way that things <clears throat> uh, accelerated 
for people, you know, you're, you're looking at supply and demand when you're, when you're talking about drugs. Um, and I know that we're looking at, I know that you guys are saying we don't need stats. We don't need statistics, but I'm, I'm going to be, say I'm, that. Throw them out there. I'm going to be the stats guy. I'm going to be, um, the Nerd. head here on the stats, but the seed I'm looking at the CDC website. Um, and just to backtrack a little bit, you know, when we have that supply and demand, Taylor knows that there's going to be more and more options to get high, uh, especially when you know you can't find pure heroin these days anywhere. Um, that's where synthetic opioids begin to be manufactured. So it's fake heroin, essentially, or fentanyl most of the time. Um, it, but it, it appeared to be the primary driver of the increases in overdose deaths, increasing 38 po- from the 12-month period leading up to June 2019 compared with the 12-month period leading up to May 2020 uh, during this time period. So essentially what CDC has here is that 37 of 38 U.S. jurisdictions with available synthetic opioid data reported increases increases in synthetic opioid-involved overdose deaths. 18 of these jurisdictions reported increases greater than 50% and 10 Western states reported over a 98% increase in synthetic opioid-involved deaths. So, Josh, did you think Taylor, that, was, that was from – they used the baseline for that stat from 2009 num- or 2019 numbers? Yes, yes. Okay. So, Taylor, what, it's, what, what they also say in that article is exactly what you said, that, you know – you said we're, we're nowhere near out of the water yet for any of this increases. But what the CDC actually says here is that we were already at the highest number of overdose deaths ever recorded in a 12 month period before COVID-19. Yep. And what this, what, what this did was already shot us. It, it shot us even more. You know, when we, we always say to the moon, this overdose deaths are beyond the moon at this point. Um, you know, there's that spike, that we were having already and then boom an increase now on the R on top of the already big increase we were having. Yeah. Um, so Taylor, I think a lot of people that listen to this might not understand that realm of, you know, can you get pure heroin on the streets? So Tell the- I, I wanted to touch on, there was a few uh, kind of points I want to kind of circle back to, but to answer your question, Josh, you, <sighs> I'm, I don't like to speak in absolutes, especially since I've been five years removed. Um, I honestly could not tell you one person that I still know who sells heroin. Um, I sure, I'm sure I could if I really wanted to, but I'm not saying it's impossible, but I would say the chances of, I would say, Josh, if you, if you went up to Amesport and found a dealer there would probably be a 99 percent chance that you would be getting straight fentanyl not cut heroin with fentanyl straight fentanyl if you were to go out and that is that is the trend and especially like places where you used to see um to kind of help the viewers out with this so the eastern the eastern part of this country has always been when heroin was predominant. Um, it was you could always get powdered heroin, um, so it made the it made it easy for the user because you could shoot it, you could smoke it, or you could snort it. Closer to 
yep. Triple Closer threat. to the border now, as far as, you know, California, Arizona goes, it was always predominantly black tar heroin. Um, something that was, has always been the cartels kind of, uh, stranglehold. Same with cocaine. Um, but you could only. That shit was white fog. That wasn't black. I was not doing black cocaine. So yeah, black tar, black tar heroin was always kind of the staple. Um, and you know, the Southern, you know, Arizona, California, places like that. But now, I mean, the, the trend, the trend is, I mean, fentanyl is getting pumped straight out of the labs from Mexico. So basically, any major city, every major pipeline, every major um, distribution route is pumping straight fentanyl. Um, and also, you know, there's more tranquilizer, carfentanyls, more than synthetic opioids, opioids getting pumped out so i would say probably in all of america right now the chances of finding um your your tried and true um poppied heroin from pakistan or afghanistan is probably very very rare i can't speak on the european um side of sales and distributions i don't know what their kind of their drug system is i don't know um if they're getting flooded with fentanyl i'm sure they are because it's coming from china but i can at least speak on you know the eastern part of the country here that you know even major players like baltimore and philadelphia new york city um fatty is the new king it is the new dog big dog on the block and it's here to stay and it's pretty safe to say that even if you were to find a batch of maybe the closest thing you could to pure heroin, it's going to be cut with something just like with cocaine, just like with even marijuana. Sometimes they sprinkle a little extra in there, but most of the time you're going to have, you know, additives put into whatever you're using, which it kind of increases the danger of your substance use. And it's not only, we're not only talking about synthetic heroin here or opiates, you know, the overdose, the overdose deaths actually involved cocaine as well with an increase of 26.5% increase. They're likely uh, linked to co-use or contamination of cocaine with that fentanyl or yep. heroin. So, you know, overdose deaths involving psychostimulants such as methamphetamine increased by 34.8%. And number of deaths invite, involving psychostimulants now exceeds the number of cocaine-involved deaths. So, I mean, it's not, we're not just talking about, you know, obviously we're an addiction podcast here. We're not going to just talk about heroin, fentanyl, and that stuff. But it all kind of links together. It all is encompassing on the uh, overdose yeah. or overdose deaths that we're having. And uh, I'm going to let you kind of, I think what you kind of want to go into is a little bit Matt's question. Maybe that's what you wanted to kind of circle back on and when that um, kind of, I know that we're talking about a certain specific topic right now, but I do want to answer, have you answer Matt's question about um, kind of when those feelings go away and when you keep looking back and thinking, what the hell was I thinking? So I, I'll let I you take that away. Gonna, I was actually going to stay on topic with what I wanted to talk about. But, oh, okay. Well, uh, go ahead then. That's okay. fine. But I can go definitely ahead. Yeah, well, we'll stay on topic for now, and we'll answer that at the end. Matt, you keep that question towards the end, okay? okay. 
Yeah, and, and Josh, <laughs> okay. I wanted to say the the CDC numbers <laughs> was seeing the the spikes in overdoses for the stimulants is absolutely spot on. Um, we've seen record amounts of overdoses of people thinking they're doing cocaine or meth, but there's actually fentanyl in it. Um, but I really kind of wanted to dig in a couple of the points that I forgot to make and the, the fatal overdose rate has been on a spike because of fentanyl way before this. Um, and, and you said that point blank, Josh. And, but the thing that kind of also caught my eye working during the whole, the whole peak when that the first surge of, you know, COVID came out and stuff like that was seeing, you know, like I said, the, the number of relapses of people with long-term sobriety, but also on the other side of the fence was I saw so many people who never had substance use or alcohol use issues in the past, you know, um, being afflicted with it now, you know, I had a, I met with a like 50 year old male, I believe who was basically a model. I mean, he literally had, you're talking about maybe a beer, a couple beers a week guy, um, started going through some hardships in life, turned to, turned to opiates ended up getting a, a fake press Percocet that was all fentanyl, ended up overdosing. Um, he lived, he survived, but it was the number of, it was also the number of people that have never been afflicted by this disease that all of a sudden were turning to coping mechanisms that they never thought in a million years they would turn to. And that, you know, and that kind of shocked me on, you know, how, you know, that the avenues people were willing to go to to cope with all these new levels of stress that we have never seen before. And, you know, it's hard for say, you know, I'm glad you brought up the study about how, like, the overdoses um, have been going up dramatically year after year since 2019. And that's solely because of the rise of fentanyl. But, you know, I don't know if this is an absolute for, you know, across the country, but, you know, I don't think the overdose numbers rising that we heard from the original study, I think it was 19%, um, was, you know, a true correlation to, like, fentanyl use. And I'm just using my my base experience from what I've been seeing. Um, And I, I think... The reason why I think the overdose number, and it's naturally been climbing. So that's what I want the viewers to understand. Like the the fatal overdose rate since 2009 has absolutely been rising month after month, year after year. But the reason why I think you maybe saw a little bit more significant spike within the pandemic parameters was because of the original point I made with all the people with the long-term sobriety going back out, like, you know, and that, and that's what I was running into. And to help the viewer understand, you know, say, so before Taylor circuit 2014, Taylor's habit was 20 or 30 bags a day. If I had the money of heroin, 
Um, and mind you, I was doing mostly heroin at that time. Fentanyl wasn't around. So say I decide to pick up today. Honestly, with the quality and the potency of the fentanyl on the street, and this is coming from a guy who could give me give me enough money, I could do fifty bags of heroin, no problem, not worry about overdosing. Um, I can do ten. I can do ten bag shots in a mayonnaise jar in my jugular, and it's not going to stop my heart. Um, but if I go out and do probably one bag of fentanyl. I'm probably dying. And I think, and that's the point I'm trying to make is the reason why we probably saw that preemptive spike in fatal overdoses is from that large amount of sector of people in recovery who were relapsing. Because listen, when you get an oil change that long and you have no tolerance built up, I don't care how hard of an addict you were when you know, you came off the streets, you go out right now in this time with fentanyl being the big dog on the block, there's a chance that your 50 bags of dope in the past don't mean shit. And, you know, I've heard, like a perfect example, there was a guy who had like five or six years clean, literally snorted a half bag of fentanyl and overdosed, and it took him three doses of Narcan to bring him back. So that's the point I kind of wanted to make was, I think, I don't want to say that's a certain thing, because I don't know. I don't know if you could do a case study that large, but that probably preemptive spike early on in COVID was probably correlated to the fact of the people with the long-term sobriety going back out, not having tolerance, and running into a drug that point blank is a lot more lethal than old school OG heroin. Yeah. These these substances aren't we're not in Kansas anymore essentially, Correct. right? Yep, perfect analogy. Matt, one thing I heard that you said earlier was, you know, you kind of you you definitely lost yourself. Um you were an alcoholic before this. You agree with that. But when this when this whole yeah. thing hit this pandemic and the stay-at-home orders, you have nothing to do. So what's the one thing you go to if you have no coping mechanism, you don't have a sense of purpose because, you know, for all intents and purposes, you were still in school and you were you were doing a job that you probably I mean, you might have enjoyed a little bit, but it wasn't something you were going to do for your whole life. And you're probably questioning, hey, what what am I doing here? So uh, that's a job where it's a lot better if you're like, in yeah, the mix with people because you like hype each other up and stuff. I mean, some people liked it, but uh, so what's your question? Did Basically, I was kind of just confirming, but the question I'll form it into a question for you is, do you think not having that camaraderie and those people when you were doing the sales and everything and you had to do it from home and not seeing people and not being able to go out as much because you were in more of a liberal area where everything was closed down? You know, do you think that that shot you through the roof with your use? I mean, you said you lived it. So basically, I'm just kind of. Yeah, I think that, like, I got into just as far as I think I got into, like, this depression, like, almost trance, you know, where it was like I wasn't I, – it's really hard to explain because, honestly, everybody, it's still something that I'm trying to grasp. Uh, it's just, like, it's kind of like it doesn't feel like even I, – I know I've only been sober nine weeks, but it doesn't really feel like me, but I'm very aware that it happened, you know. Like, I'm very aware of uh, 
that uh, the, the past year before nine weeks ago, the pr- pretty much the year before that, I was an absolute madman, you know. But it's just it was one of those things where it was just, I mean, it was tough. I, I mean, I I don't want to sound like, you know, I had it worse than anybody else, but the, you know, my choices didn't help anything. But it's just one of those things where it's like I, it's like I couldn't break out of it. Like I don't even know how to explain it. It's just it was like uh. It was kind of like just one big, like, not even party, just like one big, I, one big drunk, one, one big fog and a lot of damage. done. Right, right. So So I think that, yeah, I think that your, I mean, your experience that you had is very, very important to this episode, just because this is something like Taylor saying, even though you weren't new to using, um, you know, it exacerbated Mm -hmm. that and people who weren't using I mean, I'm not trying to uh, give excuses for your behavior at all, but, you know, this is something you're, you're not the yeah, only person either. who this happened to. And it wasn't even people that were using or drinking or shooting dope or anything before this whole this whole pandemic. So, um, you know, right. I think that also something that I know affected me was when you like go to work every day and you get out, you're not really like worried about as much what's going on in your life what's because any i realized that i was the type of person that i i had never let anything go anything anything that i could ever possibly be angry or resentful over i held on to and i still it's still something that i'm working on but when i was left alone with my own thoughts that's what i was thinking about i wasn't thinking about i wasn't hearing stories about jake's weekend or you know bobby's you know, what he's doing tomorrow or like, you know, talking about sports with the next guy over and then making calls or anything like that. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't like I was, so it was like, I couldn't really, the stuff that I had thought I'd buried came back and it like, it really had a big effect on me and my behaviors because it was just, I was just an emotional disaster all the time. Like I was, I, for no reason I would lash out and like, I was just not, I was in not in a good place. Like I was very, very, very depressed, uh, you know, spiteful, suicidal. Like it, it was, uh, it w- was something that, uh, if you know, you play the what if game, but I didn't have the right mechanisms in place to succeed under that because I didn't put them there. Uh, you know, my behaviors, you know, a lot of people were like, Hey, I'm going to go for yeah. a run. I tried all that. You know, like I, I did, I, I ran, you know, <laughs> like, but there was, I definitely, you know, probably should have been on medication and been talking to somebody and been doing the things that I'm doing now, um, as far as programs and everything before mm-hmm. that, but I didn't. And, uh, it was, it, it definitely, I think if COVID didn't happen, I would have ended up at the same place I am now, but I would have ended up there yeah. by 20 yeah. years Okay. Later. So I think that this this is something that i totally nerd out on by the way so this is this is human behavior and social experiences this is like the perfect storm for having this pandemic and this to equivalent to the explosion of these issues um and one Mm -hmm. thing i remember from and i wanted to throw it into our podcast at some point but i think there's no better time than right now is um a study that was done on some mice and uh, actually, there's a it's from uh, futuridity.org. 
And it's actually a study that was done at UC Berkeley. And the name of this article is Mice Resist Cocaine If They Have Stuff to Do. So it's very simplified, um, but I think you guys will find it interesting. I think the viewers will find it interesting. I'm going to dumb it down to the simplest form as possible. I'm not going to read the whole article. Essentially, what they did was they took a group of mice and they gave them things to do, um, like digging up Cheerios, um, sim- simple things. And essentially, they made mock jobs for these mice and gave them, we'll say, a sense of purpose in their cages. And they gave them treats whenever they would do a job and things like that. And then they did the same thing with mice that didn't do anything. They would still give them treats, but they wouldn't have to do any work. And they basically gave them cocaine with water in it. And those mice would go back to using the cocaine water. And a majority of the time, the the mice that, you know, had gotten the treats and the Cheerios and had to work and put effort in throughout the day would go back to the cages, not wanting the cocaine water. Um, and then they took those same mice that were not being challenged throughout the day and they put them into, you know, the, the same jobs as the other group of mice and slowly, but surely those mice stopped going back to the cocaine water. Um, so that's the short and sweet version of it. And to even, um, compare it to, I mean, you can tell that there's a comparison to basically we're, we're at that point of this mice study at a ma- like huge i mean 90 times what this study is where you take 329 million people in America and you keep them from you know having a sense of purpose and not having a job and being isolated from family friends and like you said not doing their daily routine and when people get taken out of daily routine you're absolutely right Matt you know you start thinking i mean when you when you lay down at night and you're looking up at your ceiling. I know a lot of people go through it. I know I go through it. You start playing the whole day through your head. You're like, well, what did I do? Why didn't I do this? Why could I could have got more done? But you think about that laying down at night and looking up at the ceiling. You know, you have that before bed. Now you have that all day long because you're, you don't have anything to do. Your sense of purpose is gone, you know, especially if you don't have a job and you're worrying about your mortgage and you're worrying about your rent, how are you going to feed the kids? How are you going to feed your, you know, your entire family? You know, am I going to be able to keep my car? They, or they let people off. Am I going to get my job back? You know, these are the things you pile that all on top of it. You know, this isn't when, when you talk about people getting into drugs and substance abuse and alcoholism, it's not, it's not just, picking up that drug and using it or picking up that, you know, utilizing alcohol as a coping mechanism or things like that. It's not just the substance that's part of the disease. It's the psychological component. You know, it's like you said, depression, the anxiety, the, what am I going to do with my life? What am I doing with my life? You know, now, so that's, you hear stories like this all the time. And I think that was just one important component. I know people are like, well, can you compare mice to human beings and this and that? Josh, <laughs> me and Josh, me and Josh have debated this exact experiment a lot. Um, and I, I do trust me. Is, is there some valid, yeah. I guess, points of contact that I can see being true and, me and the one thing me and Josh do absolutely agree on is addicts needing purpose 
and alcoholics needing purpose. That I absolutely agree on. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of holes in this study. Um, Yeah, don't even get me started. Like, come on. I'm taking the cocaine water. And first of all, cocaine's not even physically dependent. Let's make that some real booze water or some heroin water. Trust me, those rats are going back day after day after day. I don't care if you give them a whole damn amusement park up in that bitch. They going back for some hair on water. Dude, fuck. If me and you were mice, we'd be doing we'd be sitting circles around all the other little bitch ass sober mice. Yeah, we'd be dude, there wouldn't be any cocaine water left. We'd be the other two in there. You for sure, my head off for sure. You're dying. You're First down to our last, you gotta go, man. Yeah. Sorry. All I know I'm is going. women lie, men lie, numbers don't lie, and the statistics are out there, and the studies are out there, and it's not like they've only done this study one time. So I'm. I'm that's an apple. I'm, I'm an. I'm an application. See it right, with my ball. eyes, guy. The only thing I like stats to back up is in sports. Other than sports statistics, I'm an application <laughs> type cat. All right, Taylor. Well, I'll just have to spin it back on you. You know, you like you said earlier, you had never before seen people at that many people that had relapsed, that many people that had used for the first time and potentially overdosed. And what was it all because of? They didn't have a sense of purpose. So I think that there's more truth to it. Then you're allowing, and I'm just no. using your own stuff, the own stuff, only your own stuff you've seen earlier, you know. No, no, <laughs> this is no, smart for us. Yeah, you're right. And I, I, I would expect you to spend my stuff on me to hold me accountable. I'm not, and, and never, and never have I said the, yeah, the experiment was invalid. Um, but you know we're we're talking about giving, and I I'm not trying to chop this up because it's it is a great experiment, and it's not something that I completely um, say we should abolish. But I don't think no statistic could ever be perfect unless we're doing it on actual you know individuals, humans, um, and obviously you know the purpose thing, Josh. You're absolutely right, but you're talking about giving giving mice something to do and stripping people away of rather it was purpose what they do on a daily basis that was basically stripped for them and with the mice it was you know stuff they were introducing um and my my biggest my biggest hiccup in the experiment was the substance the the purpose thing um i get it isolation versus interpersonal communication is absolutely vital um i would i'm just more interested to see let's put a substance that has a a a stranglehold on a physical dependence like alcohol or heroin now if we could line up a study like that and we get very similar results to the rat then i'll completely backpedal and say what i was thinking should be null and void but something a a stimulant that really causes no physical dependence and how josh do you know how long they were introducing the cocaine water for length of time wise 
when we discussed this the first time, Josh, I think that was my other big um, hurdle was the length of time. I don't think nine weeks. You give you give rats heroin water for five years. There is no way those rats would touch any other water besides heroin water, and and that's just point blank. So I I would have liked to see the study length of time and a different choice of substance. Now, if if the conclusion lined up with what we saw in the original rat study, then I think we're on to something. I think the I think the original study right. is on to something to begin with. But I, I, I would just like to see some different parameters for the study. So so I will say this, that that was just one of the studies. The one main study that was done way back in 1970, which I think you're going to actually we'll just we might I might have to come back to this at a later episode and just I'll do I'll do my full, uh, you know, review of it and go back on it. But there actually was the the true OG study that I really, really did like was called Rat Park. And you can oh, look that's it up. that's the one we talked um, about, Josh. And, yes. Yeah, and that was done in the late 1970s. It was actually published in 1978 and 1981. And, Taylor, I'm going to tell you, and you might get a little upset, yeah. they used morphine water. Yeah, but Would you what, accept that? No, I would accept morphine. Yeah. But what was the length? Yeah. Do you know the length of time? So I'd have to go back and I'll have to dig into it. Uh, maybe that'll be a little teaser to a little discussion that we can have at some point, but we'll go back and we'll look at it and I'll try and get all the details of rat park. But for the sake of our listeners, um, we won't do it right now because we're already hitting a large time frame here. Um, but no, I'd, I'd rather us chop it up a little bit, Taylor, because I think it's interesting and I enjoy that portion because we always agree on this damn podcast. So it's fun to have a little bit of a disagreement, right? I don't agree with you being moneyballed <laughs> all of a sudden. So the other thing, I, <laughs> I don't know where the fuck this came hey, from. You know what? I'm going to get called up. They're going to call me up to run the Pirates because like, play small ball. But <laughs> Dude, my brain. Hurts. So I will say this, Taylor. That you know, I, I I do hear what you're saying, absolutely, and you know that I agree with you on the points that you make as well. Is that the, even if you want to compare mice, you you can. I mean, there's the cerebral cortex is very similar. Uh, that's why they use rats in studies to help try and test rather than using human <laughs> subjects, which is illegal, basically. So, um, but the the thing I will say is that there is a there. I, I know that I've seen that in other countries they're using um, they're utilizing decriminalization of um, substance use, where if an individual does get caught you know, using drugs or with drugs on them or paraphernalia, they, um, instead of putting them in jail, they actually put them out on work release programs and the government, you know, pays half of the salary, you know, of, for the, for that company, um, while they pay only half. So it's incentivized for that individual to get hired there because the government's paying half their wages. So that company only has to pay 50% normally that would to, to what they have to pay. And they're actually finding, and this has kind of just been coming out. So the the studies are are actually kind of new, but they're actually finding that less people go back to the substances because they're back on work release programs and they have a sense of purpose. So you can correlate some of these studies together with humans. Um, but like you said, you cannot make it all black and white because every individual is wired differently. Hence why some people can go 
and do cocaine one night and not have a not have to ever pick up cocaine again. Hence why somebody can go and drink four drinks and stop uh, versus somebody who drinks four drinks and won't stop until they hit 18 drinks. It's it we're all wired differently. But I'd say when you look at these pieces of information that you get, you take what you can and try and make it better. And at this point with the epidemic that we have of this disease, um, especially with overdoses, you know, we need to try something. So, you know, I don't think it's grasping at straws to, uh, you know, try and utilize some of this stuff. I'm down with that. I mean, I do. I don't know. <laughs> to the moon, Woo! Matt. To the moon. <laughs> to the moon. But no, I, I, uh, Taylor and I, we disagree on some of those stuff, and then we agree on a lot of the. Uh, we agree on a lot of stuff too. Um, so, and I think Taylor, with your new job, you know, you you probably have a completely different, you know mindset on certain things than you did a year and a half two years ago yeah, I already mean, I've gotten, so. I, I think that taylor before unless it lined up with what i had envisioned like i think actually the first time we discussed even that rat the original og rat study i i basically almost shut you down completely um so I, i'm starting this is the personal growth of recovery and humility and knowing that you really don't know everything. I became a lot more open-minded in a lot of things. Um, absolutely love Josh. I absolutely love anybody out there who nerds out on statistics. But I'm kind of, you know, I'm uh, I'm an application kind of cat. You know, I, I like to see stuff with my own eyes. You know, I, I'm not a huge... I just think there's so many variables and a lot of statistics and statistics are easily skewed. Um, that's not to say that I don't believe some, but you know, that that's the growth of hearing people out hearing other people's side of the things. Can I still be bullheaded and stubborn? Absolutely. Um, but you know, I, I've at least now, taken even i i can allow myself to take pieces out of things that i don't necessarily agree with um and use them for more of a positive light and you know to apply to something that i do agree with so you know but yeah i mean i i think all these studies are valid and they make for great discussion pieces and topics because nobody even people out there who are passive aggressive, like nobody likes to hear everybody just agreeing on absolutely everything. There's got to be a little devil's advocate. You know, that makes for great talk show. Let's be honest. And I think, I think the one thing that I do have to put out there is that I don't think they've been able to replicate this study very well. Um, the original rat park. So Taylor's probably, you, you know, you've got great points there as well. And I definitely will 100% capitulate oh, to the fact that shit. you cannot even... yo 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 <laughs> spelling bee spell that shit <laughs> get, get Bro, your I don't have listen people. and I'm in a formish, former English major I have never ever 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 heard that word in my life never dude Never, I'm yo, yo, sneak, please, right please fill the viewer in what that means. And me, 
<laughs> I think I feel like and we're me. at like uh, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like we have a word of the day or something here. Oh! <laughs> I wouldn't hate that either. I Start will, with I gratitude. Will. End with the word of the right, day. So we're it's out a here verb, for people. people, and it means cease to resist an opponent Ooh. or an unwelcome demand. Surrender. So basically, it just means surrender. But yes, I capitulate uh, to Taylor's points for sure that you cannot. I mean, it's it's we're talking about human beings. We're not talking about mice and any study. You know, you're you're getting different people anyways. So I I, I agree with you, Taylor, on that 100 percent. But I do think, like you said, it's interesting and it certainly does help with discussing this topic, especially when it comes to our episode. You know, I think it fits really well with what we were talking about. Um, so I do want to kind of uh, rein it back in. Um, do you have any more points? Either of you have, I'll start with uh, Matt. You know, do you have any other points about COVID-19 and the connection um, that you experienced um, yourself? Um, I would just say people that if try to do like a, try to be brutally honest with yourself as far as where you're at mentally, because the last thing you want to do is, I mean, if you notice you're getting a little more angry or you know, you're losing it a little bit, then go get help because it's not something that uh, even once things open up, you know, I mean, this is mental health and especially addiction is tricky. Um, so if you're, you know, if you think you're wavering or whatever, or if you try to be honest with yourself and actually look in the mirror and be like, you know what, I'm kind of a little nuts here. Guess what? So is most people. But you, and before you make things worse or do something that you're going to regret, maybe – Maybe uh, knock down the door of your doctor and be like, guess what? Mask is on. I got Absolutely. some shit to talk about. Taylor, anything um, yeah. before we circle back a little no, bit? No, I mean, I think you probably – you touched on the biggest point of this podcast. And I think the biggest point of maybe the, the core conflict between addiction – and the pandemic, and it circles back to the you know the study we talk about is, is purpose. Um, that's something that we always talk about. Um, everybody, it, it, I, I believe this this is the case. In fact, for the majority of non-alcoholics and addicts, is we, we are purpose-driven people. But especially addicts and alcoholics, we need some purpose in life to help us stay on point and keep and keep the train on the tracks point blank but I, I and I'm not getting political I don't want to sound callous because did we absolutely lose probably more lives than we should have to this pandemic yes but but we did a major major disservice to people afflicted with addiction and mental health. And I, it's really hard for me to sit here and not sound like an asshole and not to minimalize um, the people who died from COVID-19. And, you know, I, what I'm trying to do is not come across like those lives didn't matter, but why, but why did, why did our lives not matter? And when I say our lives, the people who suffer with addiction, alcoholism, and mental health. Um, we completely dropped the ball. All levels of government. Um, I'm not saying the shutdowns 
what we needed to do wasn't valid. But when you start cutting, and and actually I'm going to play devil's advocate with this study, when you take interpersonal communication and things we can do away from addicts and alcoholics and take them away from people and take them away from services and only allow them to do services via telehealth, we are absolutely, and I don't want to put the full blame on us because it's absolutely my choice if I pick up a drink or drug, but guess what? In some way, we were a culprit in putting some nails in coffins because we didn't handle this pandemic correctly. And when I say we didn't handle this pandemic correctly, I'm speaking strictly towards mental health and drug addiction and alcoholism and how we managed services that were available during the pandemic. And we absolutely did a major disservice. And I, it, it really, it really hurts me to know that, you know, because of this, a lot more people died than they probably should have. Absolutely. I would agree with that 100%. And, uh, I, uh, you know, that's something that definitely needed to be said, and we did drop the ball. I, I 100% agree. We're not going to get political on here, but, th- I mean, you've got to point out the facts. And we've been dropping the ball, you know, for many, many years before this, and it's just – it's really no surprise to me that we dropped the ball again on helping people who needed it. Um, but speaking of helping people that need it um, – I think we want to circle back to uh, Matt's question that he had earlier um, and then it'll kind of go into um, maybe a question that we had from a listener that we didn't touch on um, in our last episode. But Matt, can you uh, reiterate your question to Taylor again? Yeah, Taylor, it's just pretty much so for, for I'm at the point now where it's like I'm starting to like get my wits about me for say where it's like I'm starting to like wrap my head around whether it's the damage of my choices or just kind of like where I'm at just in life. You know what I mean? When do you kind of, but I don't really feel, I don't feel like myself yet. Yeah. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm back. Uh, What was your timeline? Like as far as that goes, as far as how long or what was, did you have to go through like the entire program before you were like, all right, I think, I think yeah, that's like feeling like normal. I mean, this is very dependent on different people. I will say, I'll try to break it down for you and try to maybe illustrate mm-hmm. this the best I can. Um, as far as physically feeling back to myself, I would say around six to nine months, uh, I could actually kind of think through some the the thinking process you know a situation came you know could come at me in life and I could easily for the most part most situations your basic everyday shit I could point out basically um is there positives is there consequences you know what do I kind of have to do I was I was becoming more of a sound thinker um and physically, you know, by nine months, I think right. I was sleeping through the night. I wasn't having any insomnia or because I know probably I would say probably about six to nine months. I couldn't sleep a full night. 
Um, I would sleep in like two hour increments, not a deep sleep at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just, I mean, it was a direct result for years of drug abuse. And, you know, I felt a little, and I felt super lethargic. I know in the first six months. So I would say to at least answer, when did I feel a little pep in my step physically? I would say a nine month parameter would be pretty fair. I know that might seem like a, a huge journey for you. Cause I know you're so early on in nine months might seem, you know, in a vast different galaxy, but it's really not. Um, now, the tricky question, I think what you're really yeah. trying to get at as far as the root question, like that emotional, is that correct? Kind of like that emotional kind of well-being of like kind of letting that big sigh of relief, like, you know, I can breathe. Um, yeah, kind of like just when you, yeah, I guess so. It's just like, I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, I'm, I'm still like just all over the place, you know, where it's like... I, I'll yeah, feel I'll, good for a little bit, and then it's like I I'll think traveling back because, like Josh, I, said, so I mean, and how we <laughs> kind of talked about, I I struggled with a lot of parts of my past for years, um, the stuff I was guilty and shameful of, and that that's an mm-hmm. ongoing thing. See, the stuff about our past is and never it never fully dissipates from our memory. Um, it just gets easier because we know we're doing we're doing the right things mm-hmm. now. So we're, we're actually ab- having the ability to put action into living those amends for all the bad we have done in the past. But I don't think point blank until I mm-hmm. fully made all my amends, right. All possible until I got to the point where I looked at myself and said, you know what, Taylor, you're a pretty good guy. You have a lot of really good core values about yourself, but there's still a laundry list of a lot of shit you have to work on. Um, and accompany that with, okay, let, let's really take a look at, at every single bad thing you have done. And we're going to be able to point out now if there are amends to be made, if they are possible. And if they are possible, are they going to affect us in a negative manner? Like, are they going to hurt our chances of staying sober? And if the answer is no, I had to clean up my side of the street. And I think it wasn't till I kind of got over that hurdle of letting all the people I know in my immediate life and even my acquaintances that, you know what, I take accountability for my actions in the past. Um, This is what I'm doing now. I'm doing my best. And I'm... I'm continually working on striving to getting better. Um, That's when I had that like real emotional like relief where like, listen, I know I've done some really, really bad shit in my past, but it almost seemed like 300 out of the 365 days out of the year. I didn't even think about that stuff at all throughout the day. And, and they only became fleeting memories. So I think once you get through that right. that middle part of working on basically the, the damage you have done, basically building your foundation back and 
really putting in action and allowing people to see the direction your life's going in now. I I think you're going to be in this kind of like hamster wheel of like just kind of you're you're going to be going through this circuit emotionally probably for a decent chunk of time. I can't. I I I wish I wish I I wish I could like put my finger on <laughs> when you're going to get some relief. I can't. But I would also say don't expect it anytime soon but i could be wrong i hope i'm wrong i'm just giving you i'm just giving you my journey and kind of the meat and potatoes of what i had to do to really really take that next step for me and it was kind of like you know just kind of getting rid getting rid of all that baggage man i was carrying like 20 suitcases on me every single day, everywhere I went. It didn't matter if I went to the grocery store. It didn't matter if I was laying in bed. I had 20 suitcases packed on top of me. Um, And I I had to fully address everything in my past. And eventually, you know what? We put one suitcase away. We got another suitcase away. And eventually, you know... And now, you know, I don't want to say I'm fully rid of everything, but, you know, I'm walking around right now with those suitcases. I'm walking around with nothing that's trivial that bothers me today that I know that with a little work that I can't fix. Amen to all that. Amen to all that. I think that was a pretty good answer, but I do think that yeah, Taylor, amen. like you said before, everyone's different. So it may be different for Matt, too. Um, on but you Matt, know, his, his journey, everyone's gonna, yeah, I think it's sorry, Josh. But I Matt, I will say to make you feel better because I do know your recovery process, you were probably a good, I would say, at least three months to six months ahead of me on where I was at in my step work. And so, you probably will have the ability to work out some of that nasty shit in your past before I did. Because I want to do give you some confidence going into this. So, and I've always said, yeah, and I, and I've always said from, and I always said, yeah, you're, from not day break, one, you're, you're not breaking my spirit. <laughs> I'm just, so, who knows? Yeah. You might get through this shit better than I did. And that's what I hope. Yeah. I mean, honestly, boys, like, look, for everybody, like, don't expect it to be like a super fun ride, but it's kind of, it goes down to every day, like, how bad do you want it? And honestly, I knew that uh, I knew that when I called Josh, when I called Taylor, that I was either gonna at some point like I was gonna die of this disease, meaning that it was gonna kill me via overdose. Um, it was gonna k- kill me via me killing myself or something, or I was gonna have to get better. Those are my choices, and uh, I'm not. I was just I was just like kind of asking that as a part of like kind of the viewers too for uh, what to expect. But, yeah, it doesn't, like, just because, like, we said it a, b- a bunch of times, but just because you get sober, that's kind of, like, the beginning of the process of really living a full, healthy, you know, sober life. There's a there's a difference between being sober and living sober. And Taylor is the epitome of living sober and uh, part of what motivates me to uh, get there. And right now I'm just being sober. So I'm learning how to live sober right now. Uh I am doing the work in order to do that and uh, things have gotten better. Like I am definitely more mentally stable than I was even nine weeks ago, but it is a slow, it's a slow process as far as uh, 
when you really do get to the point uh like i made it kind of i don't i don't even know if that is a real place but uh i'm still at the point where it's like you know you still wake up and you're like oh don't like it's still got the lethargic feeling going uh definitely still have to force myself to do like this the steps and whatnot and you know but things are getting slightly better and uh also i think part going back to uh you know the mental health and everything from covid is uh being able to just be in those rooms with people and uh look at people it's definitely and hear their stories and how they got better it's definitely helping me um, and that's pretty much all I can speak to on that. But uh, it's that be, actually being able to look people in the eye and, you know, you get a sense of camaraderie from even those groups, even that like one hour, uh, it's, it's made a big difference in at least my mood. I, I noticed that when I leave a, you know, meeting or whatever, I'm definitely in a better mood. I'm definitely more hopeful. Um, and I'm not in, it's a, at least an hour that I'm not in my own head, which is huge for anybody that is in uh very well put i i can't i can't conclude that question and that answer any better than you guys just did so kudos um my only complaint would be taylor's use of the terminology hamster wheel when he could have said rat wheel or mouse wheel that would have really brought it back around and uh if matt would have just said (laughs) sobriety fucks we would have had a great uh ending to that that Hey, amen. Hey, amen. Hey, amen. Sobriety Fox. Now, um, so <laughs> I, I think I want to try and end with a question if we do have one. Um, and I know that we have a Hi, pretty Stacey. avid listener. Her name is Stacy. Um, Stacy's mom. And, <laughs> and Hi, uh, Stacy, what's up, girl? <laughs> Damn, man. So easy. Uh, how do you the question is stated is this how do you go out how do you go to events like weddings and parties and still have fun or how are you still the life of the party so obviously this person has seen pictures of places we've been taylor and weddings we've been to and stuff and seen us dancing and everything else and i think that's kind of where it's geared towards um but i think answering that question would kind of feed off of matt and getting back to himself and he was asked to be in a wedding so how do you how do you navigate that um for me i mean taylor's going to be able to speak on this because he's actually lived it but for me i think there's uh two different levels that i go to i think there's the level of where it's like i am having fun but i'm just kind of part of the crowd and uh i'm not you know trying to drag a bunch of attention towards me but there's also a part of me that's like the ego needs to be fed and I need every fucking eye in the room on me. And that's the part that I'm going to try to at least work on because it's, I mean, like, look, I'm not going to a wedding and sitting because I'm sober. Like your boy's hips are still fluid. I'm getting out there and I'm fucking dancing <laughs> and I don't really give a fuck what I look like, you know, as far as, but, but, but like, don't get me wrong. I look fucking great. But, um, for, I mean, for as far as that, I mean, that's something that I would be lying to everybody if it, I told you it wasn't something that was on my mind. I, I mean, it's definitely going to be something I'm, I'm going to have to learn. I mean, part and, of it uh, probably kick it over to Taylor. Ego. But like, I think at this like this scenario, the question that Stacy asked is like the true epitome of like you, you either got it or you don't kind of thing. Because like. I just know some people, sober or not, who do not really like interacting in crowds and being life of a party and having fun. 
Um, I was that way before I started drinking drugging. That was the way I was when I was... Actually, I'm probably more fun now. Because when I was drinking and drugging at parties, weddings, I was normally an asshole or spent the majority of the time in the bathroom. Um, so right now, this is probably the best version of Taylor you're getting. But it's just something that I've always naturally been. Like, I, I thoroughly enjoy hanging out with people and having a good time. And... You know, I honestly, one of my biggest, um, one of my biggest fears before I got sober was I really, this was the quote unquote, how am I going to have fun now? Well, the fact of the matter was like the last three years, I didn't have any fun. Like the last, you know, maybe two or three years, I literally had zero fun. You could have put me in Vegas at the Bellagio and guess what? Deep down at its core, Taylor is not having fun because I know how sick I am and I know how defeated I feel. So you can just get past the point of like, we need a certain environment or an event like a wedding or party to be happy. Um, It's really the person standing in that party uh, determines the true happiness or not. And luckily for me, You know, pre-drugs and alcohol, Taylor was always outgoing and charismatic and liked having fun. And luckily, you know, it circled back to that. And, you know, I'm grateful that, you know, and what I've gotten this question a lot. I've been asked, you know, by tons of people in recovery, like, dude, how do you have so much fun? Because I know a lot of people in recovery that just they just don't have the ability to interact on that kind of level. And to have that share. And that's not a knock on, like, a knock on the recovery. I, I, I really do believe, like, at the core essence, this question is really centered around, like, either God or you don't. Is, is it a part of you to be charismatic, energetic, and fun, or it isn't? And if the answer is you are that kind of person, um, th- there's probably a good chance, even when you do get sober that you're you're still going to be, you know, the life of the party, per se. Matt, you will have no issue. Yeah, dude, I I don't think that's going to be one of my issues. I, but I can I can remember, especially the last wedding I was at, I probably brought it a little overboard. I remember the first thing waking up the next morning was like, uh-oh, like, did I embarrass myself? And I'm looking forward to not having that feeling anymore because that was pretty much my last couple years was even if I thought I had a good night. And, guys, I had some fun. Like, you know, like I had a couple good nights mixed in there, but it's not equal to the amount of times that I woke up and I was like, oh, like, what did I do last night? Like, am I in trouble? Like, and that feeling, uh, that old guilt feeling and everything, I'm, yeah, I'm and, very happy and honestly, to uh, part Matt, ways that, with that. That's like, actually, I'm, I'm glad you brought sure. I, I, I'd rather be in control of this ship. <laughs> where I'm at now, um, I'm not going to put Josh on Blast Street, but the last wedding we were at, Let's just say our co-host mm-hmm. had maybe one to too many beers, maybe consumed that night, um, and I, I had the pleasure of driving him home. I mean, just just being just being in the position, and it's very ironic that I was driving him home and not the other way around. Yes, woo! You know uh, but no, that's just like that's just another like <laughs> hidden blessing of this whole thing. Like you now also have the ability to ensure 
granted, do do I understand accidents happen? Yes. But I'm talking about, like, more times than not, like, now I have the ability to look out for the people I care about and have the ability to know that, you know what, I'm sober and I'm the DD and I'm going to get them home safe. And that's just another small blessing that, like, people don't even think about, you know, in, in situations like this. And, it, and it's another reason why I am glad that I can go to events where there is a lot of alcohol around the probably 90% of people there are drunk. And one, it doesn't affect me at all. And two, you know, I, I'm just, I guess I'm just blessed to be able to be in that position today to do that kind of stuff. Amen. All right, boys. Well, um, I guess we got to send it out on a positive note. We got I mean, that's pretty damn positive. So anybody want to share anything else before we conclude this, this episode? Um, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Well, here's to no more impending doom when you wake up after a wedding, Matt. Okay. Love you too. All right. Well, I guess we're ending this one. Hey, I love you fuckers. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to the most recent episode of our podcast. We really appreciate it, and um, we hope that we can help somebody through this podcast. Uh, So make sure you subscribe to it. That way you know when the next episode comes out, and feel free to reach out with any questions or concerns. We'll try and answer them on the podcast. Other than that, thank you guys. Thank you so much.